Welcome to the Homeschool High School Podcast, brought to you by SevenSistersHomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. And I'm Vicki, and I am not here with Sabrina and Kim today because I am interviewing a very, very special guest. And this is for a lot of people already know Cindy, but this is Cindy West of our journey westward. And I'd just like to introduce you, Cindy. And Cindy, say hi. Hi. And tell us about yourself. Oh, I'm so thankful to be here. Excuse me. I have been homeschooling. I think I calculated this is my 18th official year. So it's been a lot of years and I still have several to go. I have a 21-year-old who is in her fourth of five years of college. She got her associate's degree in equine studies and then switched into marketing where she will do something with marketing and horses. We live in central Kentucky, so this is a great place to get a job with horses. Um, And then I have an 18-year-old who is in his first year at community college. We like to make an easy transition into the college years. So um, he's doing great. And then I don't think he has officially declared a major yet. Right now he's kind of on a business track, but we shall Mm -hmm. see where that ends because his real love is to play lead guitar. Um, Oh, (laughs) yes. Um, And then I have an 11-year-old. He will soon be 12, sixth grader, and he and I are homeschooling solo for the first time in many, many years that I've only been homeschooling one child. And it has been, I'm not going to lie, pretty fabulous. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you how does that feel to just have, you know, one that you're actively homeschooling? Oh, I feel so much freedom, especially because I'm back into middle school where there's a little bit less pressure <laughs> yeah, in the high yeah. school years. So, yeah. um, it's been a very refreshing year so far. So, in your older two that have already graduated, um, they started out at community college, which my younger two did too, because it gives them time to grow inexpensively. Yes. Um, compared to the, the college situation. So both of them were able to go through their AAs debt-free, which was very nice. And I think, doesn't Kentucky have a program where they will pay at least some of the community college if you go the first couple of years there? Um no, but it's so no. inexpensive. Um, uh-huh. it, there may be for public schoolers. As homeschoolers, uh-huh. we don't really have that option to get free. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. But uh-huh. same as with you, they they are going in debt free, and so when they switch into their bachelor's degree programs, um, you know they're they're starting fresh. They've got so much under their belts already, and they just don't uh-huh. have a ton of money to even put into the bachelor's degree college that they choose. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what's really nice about getting an AA is you can switch topics or tweak the topic after that AA and but build on the strength of the AA. So like my my number 4 kid got his associates in filmmaking and then switched to education and he uses those skills in the classroom now. So he's a middle school teacher and is also working on his master's degree um, in education, but with a, a, a digital emphasis. Um, and so it kind of like is 
the AA was an asset to his professional career. And your daughter started out in equine studies, right? And yeah. then she's, she's tweaked it now to marketing. But in the part of the country where you are, having that equine background is an asset, I imagine. Oh, yes. And that's her passion, horses. Um, mm-hmm. While she did her associates, she was very hands-on with the horses. And she had been hands-on at our home, but she was hands-on in the thoroughbred industry on a really detailed level and realized you know, I'm not necessarily sure I want to do the brunt work with these horses day in and day out. So that yeah. helped her yeah. to to kind of hone in uh, her vision less expensively than, you know, going all all in yeah. into an expensive four-year college. Yeah, yeah. It really gave her time to, to explore. And um, so she's, she's got that degree. She's got those skills. But then she she pivot and uh, went to another direction. So this is a good segue. So so your daughter started out in the the equine studies, and then you've got a, a young guitarist who's um, just starting his college career. How did you help your kids find their passions? Oh. Because today we want to talk about that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I like to say that I attempted to be as observant as possible about their loves mm-hmm. and then give them the opportunity, the opportunities, because it wasn't always just a single love, give them the opportunities as best I could to explore those passions, to um, to get in with some experts in those passions, to take some time in school to study those passions so that they could they could sort of feel it out early on. And I will say it was probably for both of my older two around the ages of 12, 13 that I really started to see, okay, these are some serious interests and you know they're showing a whole lot of excitement a whole lot of i really want to learn more give me more feed me more um and so you know i would tweak school and i would plan field trips and i would talk to experts and i would see how much exposure i could get them in front of so give me some examples of th- concrete things you did with your daughter and the horses and then your son with the guitar. Okay. So with my daughter, around the age of nine, she started hanging out with her papa because her papa, we live on a farm, um, but he had several horses here on our farm and she was expected to go and do some chores with him. And for a while we thought, okay, chores are, are quickly going to make her dislike these animals. Um, but it didn't. And like I said, around the age probably of 12, she was all in. She'd already had some experience um, with the chores, with the the brunt work of it, with, of course, riding and things like that. So we started the library, the books, as, as much as she wanted. Her free time reading was mostly horse reading for probably her entire middle school and maybe even freshman uh-huh. life. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. We started doing field trips like the veterinary hospital, veterinarians um, who didn't necessarily have a hospital, but but could let her shadow with them. We had lots of opportunity here in central Kentucky to take tours of Keeneland and Churchill Downs and various um, thoroughbred farms. Um, 
let's see, by the time she was a junior, we she was accelerated. She was um, a gifted learner. So she uh-huh. had finished most of her necessary sciences by the time she reached her junior year. And we just sat together and I said, you know, if you want to do an equine or farming agricultural type science next year, we can totally do that. And so her junior year ended up being a science in agriculture where she didn't just study horses. She also studied cattle and um, pastures and nutrition and that kind of thing. And that was self-directed with, you know, my, my input. Um, And then finally in her senior year, we decided, you know, there are a lot of seniors these days who do co-ops and that means, you know, in, in their regular high school, they might be at their regular high school half a day, and then they go right. and they work in a place of interest the other half of the day. So we got her hooked up with a neighbor who was a thoroughbred trainer, and uh-huh. um, she interned with her for basically half a day's credit or half a year's credit. I don't uh-huh. know how I want to explain that. Uh-huh. Basically half of all of her senior year credits were in this internship. Yeah. Do you remember what you titled those courses, those credits? Um, I believe the agriculture one was just agricultural sciences. And I just wrote a really great transcript description, which did nothing more than kind of lay out the various things she studied. We can certainly Uh talk about um, how I put that together in a few minutes, if you like. Um, And then the internship here, I believe I just titled it Equine Internship, and I gave it Mm -hmm. three full credits. Yeah, yeah. And because she spent the time doing that and the learning and hands-on valuable experiences can't be replaced. It looks so good on the transcript, but for life skills, it's, it's just irreplaceable. Sure. And it was huge in developing her passion. So she was either going to keep going in this and love it and, and Mm -hmm. kind of make a career out of it, or she was going to figure out pretty quickly, "Mm, you know, this isn't necessarily for me. And now I'm going to move on to a secondary passion or something. Yeah, we had one of my advisees many years ago was a homeschooler, very intelligent. And she had said all the way through middle school and high school that she wanted to be a large animal vet and just particularly wanted to work with horses. And she was had the drive to do it indefinitely, the intelligence and built a powerful transcript. So in 11th or 12th grade, she started shadowing with a, a, a vet going out working on horses and within about two weeks she was over it <laughs> she she said you know what I just discovered that this poor woman never gets to have supper with her family she's always being called out on an emergency and I really value the time with family and I want mm-hmm. to get married and have kids and have kind of a normal life and being a large animal vet is not going to allow that. And we said, well, we solved that one. Yeah. So it was not a waste of time at all. She was able to pivot and went into a different uh, science. So 
Anyway, that's what you did with your daughter, but she found that she still loved it after trying it out. Well, I do have two experiences that helped her know she did not want to be a vet. The first was when Uh we went to the equine hospital and she saw a horse in surgery and realized, I love these animals too much to be able to do this with them. That was Uh the first bit. And then the second, when we... She had multiple experiences with veterinarians, but one of them in particular said, I love my animals and I don't get to spend time with my own animals because I'm always working on other people's. So those events, just really simple field trips kind of helped, helped take, carve her pathway out for her. She knew there were certain things that she did or didn't want based on some of those simple experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the value of actually having those hands-on experiences. So, all right, Kent, tell me a little bit about her agricultural science. So that was a student-led mm-hmm. course. And one of the beauties of homeschooling is to let teens help develop their own courses. So how did you guys do that? That was really very simple. We sat together and we we knew we had 36 weeks in a school year. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up dividing that into months. So four week spans. And we said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to write down some topics that we know you're interested in studying. And then we are going to, we're going to get on the internet and we're going to see what do other people, college level classes, for instance, what do they study for an Mm -hmm. agricultural Mm -hmm. um, course? Um, Because we didn't really find much in high school. So we went to college level scopes and sequences. Um, And so then we kind of honed down, well, if we're going to do a whole study of agriculture and you want equine in there, we were going to do a month on complete equine studies. And I asked her to pinpoint some things that she definitely wanted to get out of that. So she was able to say, well, I need to learn about their, their important nutrition differences. Mm. Um, I need to learn about pastures. Well, you know, what needs to grow in various pastures for those nutritional differences. I need to learn some, some at home vet practices and things like that. So we ended up saying, we well, you know some of those can be covered in this month that you're studying equine, but some of them are a little bigger. Let's turn, for instance, nutrition into its own month. Um, and then we did the same for cattle. And by, by the time we got through um, horses and through cattle and kind of planning out several months of topics on that, we then had a couple months left. And so she decided she would um, study herding breeds because we own border collies and she wanted to learn more about Uh the training of and how to use them effectively with cattle. Um, Mm -hmm. So she spent a month on herding animals. And Uh then um, I believe she just spent another month on animals that can have a good impact for the income of Mm -hmm. the farm. Mm -hmm. Um, So once we had all of the, the main topics down, her job was find a spine. And what I mean by a spine is a really good textbook worthy book that you're going to be studying throughout that month. It just had, it didn't have to be an actual textbook, but it needed to be something that was full of information. Um, In other words, not just a simple library book. Now, 
a detailed library book, yeah, that was completely mm-hmm. fine. We, in fact, got a lot of those spine books from the library, but not something that you would find in the juvenile section. Um, right. Okay. So she went to the, like the regular adult section yeah. where they have yes. like reference materials or nonfiction. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, so she needed to have that text going. Um, and she needed to have some sort of major project that she was working on. Um, in some cases it was a research paper. In some Uh, cases it was, I'm going to set up a visit with such and such for an interview. And then I'm going to assimilate that and, you know, present that information to you guys at home. Um, in some cases it was uh an experimental type of project. Um, if I feed this particular horse, this kind of feed that comes from the feed shop and then this other horse of the same breed, this kind of feed, which one is holding weight better, that kind of thing. Uh So she uh is the one who designed these projects, presented Mm -hmm. them to me for her approval, and then Mm -hmm. she had to follow through with them. Uh Uh-huh. So that... So it it really, she had a a beautiful combination of um, books and engagement through projects and engagement through research and writing. Correct. And yeah, interviews and also it sounds like a beautiful syllabus by the time y'all got through it. Oh, it was a beautiful syllabus. I actually had a popular science company contact me to see if I wanted to turn it into a full on high school course. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That was going to be a huge project. So I did. Yeah. 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 And so have you done similar things with your son, the guitar player? Yeah. So with the guitar player, um, his was a little less obvious early on. Around the age of 12, he began just guitar lessons, fiddled around with the guitar. This guitar teacher, after several months, finally said, hey, listen, um, he's kind of done better than I'm able to teach him anymore. I'm going to pass him on to a new teacher. Um, the second teacher kind of said the same thing. And then the third third teacher, he was what I'm going to just call a cool dude. And he absolutely knew that guitar, knew how to play it really, really well, and knew how to inspire Caleb. Mm -hmm. And Caleb grew this impassioned interest that that I, I didn't just see him practicing for lessons. I saw him on YouTube trying to learn new um, skills, trying to know, mm-hmm. learn new types of music, trying to impress his teacher with something new that he had learned that he hadn't even been asked to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about that time that I think he got good enough to start playing at our church with the youth group. Uh-huh. Um, then the big church, what we call at our church, the big church people, um, started noticing, I think Caleb could play on stage here. Uh-huh. And so fast forward a few years, that child has been through probably five or six teachers and he's okay. now currently playing at four or five different churches on a regular rotating schedule um, <laughs> and really and truly has a passion to be in Nashville someday. Uh-huh. So what uh-huh. did mama do for that? Mama paid for guitar lessons. Mm-hmm. I 
got him to those guitar lessons, which were a burden because it was, you know, I've got two other kids I'm trying to homeschool, but I've got to take you out to these lessons every single week. And as they progressed, those lessons were an hour away. Um, And I allowed him time. We -hmm. did regular school. We got regular school out of the way. And then he would typically spend three, four, sometimes five hours on guitar in the afternoons. Mm-hmm. And I allowed it. So you were not you were not forcing him. You were allowing him. Yes. And that's you know it, a kid that age. If they have a gift, sometimes parents will go like, "Okay, we have to invest in this gift," and they and it turns into a forced thing. Yes. And tends to very easily backfire. But it sounds like you gave him the environment like, here, I'll pay for lessons. I'll get you to lessons. But then you created the environment academically that if he wanted to, he could really invest in that. And you didn't say, no, you're only allowed to practice for one hour. You gave him the freedom to uh, to do what he felt like he was going to invest in. Yes. And towards, it was probably the junior and senior years of high school. I don't remember if we did it the sophomore year or not. Um, Music was obviously a full credit. And I believe by his senior year, I was counting it as two credits because he was spending so much time in music theory as Uh well as music practice, as well as Uh um, lessons Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it justified two hours worth of credit. And the only reason I felt good doing that is again, because by the senior year, we had really knocked out everything else that was important for a college bound student. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So you, you got the, the required academics done, but you allowed him to concentrate on all the different avenues of music that would develop his skills in that area, like music theory is necessary if he wants to be a musician. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's probably important to mention that, and I don't know if I will regret saying this or not on, (laughs) on, (laughs) on, um, voice over, but Caleb sometimes struggled with, um, certain types of academics and certain types of attention issues. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. was when we introduced him to music or let him take off with music might be a better way to put that. Uh uh When we saw drastic changes in his abilities and his, um, in his academic abilities and his abilities to focus. And what I have since learned is sometimes kids who struggle with those kind of things need that right and left side of the brain to talk better together. And music lessons inherently make the right and left side do that. And so music for him, I think was not only an absolute love, but I think he saw himself able to take that brain and just start to rock it in school and start to be able to feel like I, I can pay attention now. And um, it was incredible the difference that music made in his life. So what music did is it kind of integrated his brain, but he also found out he was really gifted in that area. And it probably gave him confidence then 
for the more boring academics where he may not have had the confidence before. Yeah, confidence. But I also think because the left and right side were talking better together, Uh it uh actually improved his skills. And he ended up with being a very good, solid student who is making a fabulous transition into college. And there were some years that I was worried that that wouldn't happen. That is, it's just so beautiful, you know, in our, a lot of our academic settings, we really downplay the arts and, you know, like it's, it's just extra stuff if you get time, but the academics are the only thing that really matters. But what you found is that music made him a better academician because it helped his brain to communicate well with itself. Absolutely. And that's, there's, there's good research on that. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, okay. Was there a student led official course that you did or did just the lessons provide the, the gifted training that he needed? Um, we never really sat down and did a student led course because there was so much time spent in him just doing it. And really with him, had I sat down and said, we're going to develop a syllabus, it Mm -hmm. probably would have stunted what he was already passionate about. Actually, it not, it, it would have stunted. It wouldn't have probably right. stunted it. So, th- so you, yeah, you gave yourself permission to raise each kid in a different way. Oh, like sure. there's not one right way to homeschool. Yeah, yeah. That is actually my theme in life. You know, you do what works for your children and that's not always going to look the same. Yeah. So do you have any idea what your youngest is interested in yet? Or are y'all just starting to explore that? Well, we are starting to explore it. He showed a really strong passion for drums for the past couple of years, uh-huh. but he since got a little bored with drums. So uh-huh. instead of pushing him in his talent to do more drums, mm-hmm. I said, hey, let's take a break for a while. And you want to try mm-hmm. some piano? So right now he is doing some very elementary piano lessons, you know, the beginning of the beginning. Uh, yeah. And he's finding um, some connections between it and drumming. And I think that I'm beginning to see a little bit of passion ignite for drums again. But I'm I'm not making any kind of big deal about it at all because I really yeah. need it to be his. Um, otherwise, yeah. he loves working on the farm with his dad. And while he hates math, he's a really good mathematician. So again, I'm just kind of sitting back right now and I'm mm-hmm. watching and I'm taking it all in and I'm sort of letting him lead me. And that's, that's a good observant mother is you, you can't force their passions, but you can observe. So that's really wise. Yeah. And in the process of that, because I hear from, especially a lot of gifted parents of gifted um, students that, you know, they just let their kids run with the passion and they kind of forget that there's an underlying school that has to be done at the same time. And, you know, I think that's kind of a theme in some modern day homeschooling movements to just Mm -hmm. let our kids do what they're going to do. I guess we're going to call that maybe unschooling to the Mm -hmm. max, uh, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Um, 
But one theme that I always had is, yes, you may absolutely explore your passions and you will have plenty of time to do so, but we still do math and we still do language arts and history and science. Um, And when those things intersect with one another, your mom will certainly do her best to make those things have the bent towards what you want them to have a bent toward. But we don't give up on anything just so you can pursue your passion full time. You are 14. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's part of being a, a mom is they need to be well prepared for life. And that requires an education. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Cindy, this has been so delightful. I wonder if you could tell all of our seventh sisters who are listening um, where to find you. Sure. You can find me at ourjourneywestward.com. Um, you can find me as Our Journey Westward on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I share lots about creative homeschooling, giftedness, nature studies. I am the author of the Nature Explorers curriculum. Um, and I also just released a new book called Homeschooling Gifted Kids that is available on Amazon. Oh, that's really cool. So I'll have to dig out some links and put those in the show notes. That'd be great. People love resources. And I have heard so many good things about the Nature Explorers curriculum. Oh, good. Thank you. So what, what led you to write that one? I saw a need in the Charlotte Mason community for people who were just giving up on nature study because they thought it was too hard. And I love nature study. So I didn't just put together a Charlotte Mason style. I ended up (laughs) creating this. It's just full of anything that could work for whatever learning styles or passions your kids have. So you kind of pick and choose between nature walks and hands-on activities. And there's even literature and, um, gosh, Bible studies, artist studies that can kind of go along with the theme if you wanted to go wild with it. Yeah, because there's not one right way to homeschool. So to have all the opportunities in there, that's great. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So I'll put links to all the ways you can get in touch with Cindy and um, that follow her because she's a wealth of information and encouragement. So thanks again, Cindy. Thank you so much. This has been the Homeschool High School Podcast brought to you by 7sistershomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.